Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there. I know you've been waiting all day for this talk. So, um, so anyways, uh, anytime a male politician says something insensitive and inaccurate about women, I always, which is a lot lately, actually, I always find myself asking, well, what if women were in charge? Would, you know, how would things look? And so this conference was the perfect opportunity for me to flesh out this question I've had for a really long time. So to kind of get the ball rolling, like so many of us do, when we have a question, we go to the world's source book, or AKA Google. So to get some ideas about what people think the world would look like if women were in charge, I put that phrase into Google, and here are some of the common images that came up. Okay, so we've got a Swiss Army knife with, with accessories here. We've got the car console with all the cosmetics that any woman could possibly need. Of course, we'd have everything from pink fighter jets to pink superheroes. Um, and finally, this is the most popular image that actually came up on Google. We wouldn't have war because no one would be talking to each other because, you know, women are catty like that, right? So when you look at these images, it seems like people think that this is more of a joke than an actual reality. So I would like us to seriously consider what the world might look like if women were in charge. And to do this, I have to give you guys a quick little metaphor here. Um, in the 1980s, medical researchers decided to dedicate a lot of time and study to the human heart. They had studies from how does an aspirin regiment prevent heart disease, or, or what are the factors of heart disease, or even how estrogen can help pr protect against a heart attack. But the interesting thing about these studies is the only people that they studied were men. Even on a test about estrogen, they only studied men. And for some of your faces, I, I think you guys think that's kind of ridiculous. How can we say we know about the human heart if we're only looking at a man's heart? Well, in a lot of ways, this is the same situation with the political system today in the world. This is just a kind of snapshot of what the American political system looks like from the federal to the local level. Women are not really involved that much in politics or policy making, which means that men are largely determining the laws that we all live by, um, which in some cases can seem kind of ridiculous because women do make up 51% of the population. So the question I would like to answer is not so much what if women ruled the world, but what if we just had more women in on the conversation, more women making public policy? So the first approach I want to take with this is basically I want to argue that there's a biological political approach. Um, over the last couple decades, scientists have been studying the brain. And they indeed have found that the brain is a sex organ. Not like you see here, though, OK? Um, actually, men and women's brains are hardwired much differently. For instance, uh, women have more inches of their brain dedicated to communication, decision-making, and problem-solving. Actually, women in the area of the brain that makes up the part for communication and hearing, they actually have 11% more neurons than men. Now, not to sound like a cliche here, but studies also show that men's brains are larger in the area of aggression and sexual arousal. Again, those are backed up by science, okay? Also, we, we also learned that when it comes to stress, 
The way that men and women's brains are hardwired determine how they manage stress. Uh, for instance, when you're stressed, your brain produces something called oxytocin, uh, which is called the cuddling hormone. And essentially, estrogen helps boost that oxytocin where women tend to reach out to others and collaborate when they're stressed out. But testosterone actually blocks oxytocin, which means that men typically will either get aggress aggressive or they'll retract when they're under stress. So if you guys think about the things that are necessary to make good public policies, uh, you have to first of all be able to collaborate. You have to be able to compromise. You have to make decisions. And you have to manage stress. Well, based on the studies that we see now, women actually do those things better because of the way that their brains are hardwired. So when women make policies, they're bringing some really important skills to the table that will help make them very, very effective. But besides just what skills women bring to the table, we also need to look at the type of policies that women may promote if they were indeed in charge. Um, so one study has shown that when women have been given control of government spending, they tend to spend less money on the military. If you couple that with a study out of Harvard that says countries that spend more on the military are more likely to go to war, we have the conclusion that if women were in control of spending, we might have less war in the world. So if women are not spending money on pink fighter jets, what are they spending money on? Well, actually, a lot of studies show that when women allocate government funds, they tend to do it on projects that fulfill the greatest need. Uh, for instance, a study in India shows that women chose to spend money on things like drinking water and roads. Also, women tend to spend money on uh, a particular, or allocate funds to particular policies that fit their needs. So if we apply all of this to the United States, we could see that policies in the United States might look much differently. For instance, maybe less health insurance companies would cover, won't cover Viagra instead of birth control pills. All right? Or uh, let's, let's keep going with the whole birth control thing here. We wouldn't have as many debates about reproductive rights and access to things of, of, that have to do with family planning. But one misnomer that comes up when you start to think about female-friendly policies is that, oh, well, female-friendly policies only benefit women. Actually, studies show us that female-friendly policies are also society-friendly policies. Let's, let's keep on with the birth control debate. Um, it's actually been proven that for every dollar that taxpayers pay to help with family planning or, or contraceptives, it actually saves taxpayers four to fifteen dollars uh, from pregnancy and other health-related costs. So it's actually cost-efficient. Or let's move to the gender pay gap. Right now in the United States, women make 80 cents for every dollar that a man makes. Well, of course, if we fix that gender pay gap, of course, women will benefit because they'll make more money. But society does as well. It's actually estimated that the stimulus from women making more money would bring our economy up by 3 to 4% of its size right now. Family incomes would go up by an average of $4,000 a month. And poverty rates would be cut in half. All of that just to close this gender pay gap. So again, a, fem a female-friendly policy is also a society-friendly policy. So essentially, uh, kind of my uh, 
big, I guess, conclusion today is that, um, like the metaphor with medicine, you can't truly understand the human heart if you only study men. Well, perhaps we can have true good policies unless we bring both women and men into the discussion because everybody brings in different experiences. Everybody brings in different concerns and, 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 uh, and you know, solutions. And women even bring in skills that make them, as policymakers, more effective. So I encourage all of you to stop thinking of if women were in charge, we would have a pink world or an accessorized world and rather think that maybe we would just have a better world. Thank you.